is like an oldie but goodie. I remember when some of my, I don't know, I guess I was getting more into craft here. This is way before the sick hazies and the and and the the the, um, the, the pastry souths and everything that are that are freaking ubiquitous nowadays. Um, this was this was like an OG. I think this is giving me a reaction. Oh my god, John and his allergies. <laughs> Get out of here. I'm serious. <laughs> okay, well, don't drink it then. <laughs> no, I'm going to drink it, but the roof of my mouth is swelling a bit. <laughs> anyway, this is uh, from <laughs> Belching Beaver. And it's uh, the peanut butter milk stout. It probably doesn't even have peanuts in it. It's probably some kind of other naturally derived flavor. No, no, my EpiPen's not here, so. <clears throat> you actually own an EpiPen? Yep. <laughs> oh, God. Expensive things. Um, have you ever had to use it? No, yeah, thankfully. That's good. Yeah. As long as it makes you feel better. The uh, giant pharmaceutical company that owns that EpiPen thanks you for buying that insurance. It's better than dying, isn't it? That's what they want you to think. <laughs> You're going to die if you don't have one. Uh, John, so we have, okay, so this is, we should, we should thank um, Scott. I got the last name wrong. It's Covert. Yes. He's like he's a covert operative, I guess. <laughs> I'm only laughing because you because you're laughing. It wasn't funny, but I mean that's a pretty cool last name. Covert. I'm a so like work for MI6 or something. Why can't I move my psych window around? This is wow, my computer just died. No, it didn't. Yeah, I'm just gonna close it. Yeah, okay. it's like what's going on here? It's just you can't I cannot move. Look at this. Cannot grab and move this at all anywhere. Let me maximize it. I don't know what you're trying to do. Yeah, it's just slack the crap. You up? literally you can't tell what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to. There it goes. Now I can move it. That was weird. Oh, I still can't move it up. I can only move it back and forth. <laughs> oh, there. Now I can go up. Wow. Huh. Great job, OS 10 or whatever you're calling nowadays. I'm blaming it on. Uh, I'm blaming it on Apple. Um, anyway, no, he, th these are the, these are the bears that he brought us, to, uh, Trailhead DX, and I'm just now remembering to bring up here. There's another one too. We'll get to that later. This is, this is really tasty, huh? And guess what the ABV is on this? Hopefully small. Yeah. I mean, you think with this much flavor, it would be <clears throat> like at least seven or something, but it's 5.3. That's like pills so what, territory. what they do, just like brew a stout and then just mash up some peanut butter cups and stick them in there because this is very sweet. This is sweet as if they added well, sugar into it. Well, it does. It has added lactose, milk sugar. Okay. It's a milk stout. Um, but the peanut butters are tough. I mean, I could go into all the different ways you can get peanut flavor into beers. Um, there's actual peanuts. There's um, that peanut butter powder stuff. It's like defatted peanut butter. Have you ever seen that PB2 powder? Yes. You can use that kind yeah. of stuff. But the thing that gets you the best flavor, and I'm guessing that's what this is, is there's actually a like a peanut flavor extract. I don't know if it's actually from peanuts or if they use some other kind of some, some kind of natural source, but it may not actually be peanuts. Um that's that's the way to get like that peanut butter flavor. And I get that I get like peanut butter flavor for this, not just like roasted peanuts. What's the difference? I don't know, and I don't know how peanut butter even accomplishes its flavor. Because it's so much more than just peanuts that are just ground up. I don't believe that. <laughs> it's peanuts and sugar. That's true. Binders so, and everything else. So I was um, just a little earlier, I was reading an article, and it was in 
It was in uh, Financial Times. And I used to subscribe to Financial Times a long time ago, the paper, the physical edition. Oh, and I swore cool. it wasn't this expensive because I, I, I saw it was an, I was actually, I think it was a Salesforce article and it was, it was pretty interesting. And I thought, I'm going to look and see what it costs to subscribe. $600 a year, John, for the, for the digital subscription to Financial Times. That's slightly more expensive than my, the last thing I subscribed to, which is the information, which was about 30 bucks a month. 30 a month yeah. for information? Well, Financial Times is probably <clears throat> a hell of a lot better than the information. Not the information's bad, but Financial Times is just huge and yeah, probably a much you know, a huger company. It's huge. Yep. Another random thing uh, is that, did you get the notification? Are you a Dropbox user? You are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know you are, because that's how we share files. Um, that, and, and maybe I'm on a different plan than you are, but I got a notification that my plan is changing. Did you get this? I don't think so. That or I deleted it. <laughs> I actually went a couple of days without cleaning out my email. I ended up with 200, and I had to delete a bunch of non-important stuff. I need to just, like, actually, actually, I think this this long weekend over independent, American Independence Day will be a good time to do this i need to need to nuke all my inboxes because they've gotten out of hand again i gotta i always go back to, i always get to inbox zero but it's after letting them over about a month or two get up to thousands and thousands of unread emails um but anyway you know so dropbox there it says okay this is just a reminder i got another email reminder that your plan is changing to 11.99 a month i think it i think it's and <laughs> my first thought when i read that was like oh wow i'm paying dropbox i didn't know i, I didn't know i was paying them I think you are because uh, normally I have to clean out our folder pretty quickly because then you'll start complaining saying you're hitting your limit. At some point, you stopped complaining. Yeah. And so I'm guessing at some point you started paying for it. I think so. I'd forgotten. But they say I'm going, I'm up to two terabyte. I'm guessing that's from one terabyte. So I'm going to pay two extra bucks. I'm assuming I'm paying $9.99 right now because that's what seems like that's what it was. Uh, So it's up to two, two terabytes. And they've got some sync thing that they're saying is new, but I'm not sure if this is new. It's, it's you can move. I mean, I, there's I think a lot of aspects to it, but just in this email, the little bullet point, it said you can move out of date files off your computer's hard drive into the and uh, to the cloud. It's their smart sync, I guess, and it's it's just it's like an algorithm or something, and it just will intelligently so, take files that you don't use or that are old and take them off your hard drive, but of course leave them in your Dropbox repository. I don't know how I, I guess. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't have that on. I, but if I had a hard drive space problem, I might. Especially if I had, you know, for example, like our, all of our podcast files. Yeah. In fact, it's, I've deleted so many of the original source files, right? Because, you have? Yeah, yeah. Oh. I think I did. And then you were like, don't re- don't delete those. I'm like, what are we going to do with a three-year-old raw, probably some kind of software format that can't even be used anymore? You don't know. We might we might have a need for them. We might make it big. I mean, there's no there's no software and... that can interpret them, is what I'm saying, John. Mm. I mean, we still have the original wave files, I guess, mm. or whatever the whatever the raw format is that we record in. I have all those, or I have the MP3s that we generate. I have all those. Yeah, that's well. I've, yeah, I haven't deleted those. Um, it's just it's all the raw files and like the project files, mm-hmm. like the audition or whatever we used before that. Um, and then they're also adding Dropbox Rewind. Again, I'm assuming this is new. I don't know. But you can basically, it's say, it's versions, your files. And you can roll back to previous versions up to 30. They save up to 30 days worth of versions on every file. That's not bad. Yeah. Which reminds me, I just added another 8 terabyte drive to my Synology. And I really need to get back on. I used to use that for, um, 
what's it called? Time sync? No. Time time travel. Time, tra- no? time machine. Time machine. Thank yeah. you. And um, I'm sure time travel is uh, time time travel. No. Time, time machine. machine. Sorry. I'm sure time machine's got a lot. It, it was okay when I used to use it. It's been years. Yeah. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's better now, but I I should use time machine. I just heard some people talking about how they use it and it's great. And I'm like, yeah, that's it is pretty good. It's I mean it, the idea was good. I just don't know that I have a need for it. I don't really have any files that I need to have. Well, first of all, it's a backup. If you don't already have a backup. Okay. Uh, right. I'm I, just saying that's I probably that's, shouldn't say this, but Dropbox is kind of my backup. It's oh, I, it's not at all. I know, but and, it's where I put my stuff. It's in fact, so should, should we should we take the opportunity to talk about what my backup strategy is? So we already know what you're, it's the whole Synology thing. No, it's it's your, it's, it's, it's thing. So, so it starts it starts with this. So yeah. about once, and it's manual. So that's a, and I have a flaw to this, but I always I still do it all the time. Um, a, two or three times a week, I'll plug this in. So I'm holding up a what is this? A two and a half inch little external mobile portable drive. Mm-hmm. I think it's a terabyte. Um, plug it in, and I use Super Duper, and so I always have a relatively up-to-date, bootable, bootable backup of my computer. I can just stick this in and boot off of it if my hard drive goes out or something, and I'm right back in business. Um, and then on top of that, I have, what is it, Crash Plan? That's also backing up everything. Mm-hmm. And so I could boot off of this, and then if I needed to, I guess I could pull down any, any changes since like I guess the last time I backed up or whatever. I could do that. Or I could have Crash Plan just ship me a. You can have them just ship you a hard drive too of your whole backup. Like mm. you, you can, they'll overnight it to you. I mean, there's a fee for that. <clears> but it's an option if you don't want to just download everything. And then on top of that, which I don't do anymore, I used to have is Time Machine, which is great because that's now two physical backups in different places. This one's always at my office, and then my Time Machine's always at home. So if something gets stolen or burns down or whatever, I've always got the other one. Well, it's nice but, that you have all this data spread up, spread around for those hackers to get in and uh, take a peek. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're just like just propagating it everywhere. That's saying, true, Here yeah. you go. Yep. <laughs> find the gap. Yeah. You make a, what's it? Uh, we can make a scavenger hunt out of it. You can find Jeremy's backups. <laughs> like <laughs> <Yeah>. a game. <laughs> but the, now the nice thing about Time Machine though, back to that is that, is that it saves actually every version of every file until your Time Machine volume you're backing up to starts running out of space. Then it will start like truncating old the oldest versions of files. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good system. Yeah. I remember liking the interface, but again, I don't know. I, I do need to... I don't know. There there are very few things that I need backed up, and I already have backups of those. They're on separate hard drives. It's, I like, mean, it's it, like family videos, family photos, all this other work data. I don't care. Get rid of it. Toss it. <laughs> work stuff. Yeah, who needs work? I mean, it's... I mean, the code... That I that I ultimately need is already in Salesforce, so I can always download it from there. There's really no project work or documentation that isn't in some platform like I don't know, Jira, Google Docs, Dropbox. I mean, I just don't have a large amount of data that just isn't in a cloud somewhere that I can't access. Yeah, and if you got your, like your documents, what do you have? Dropbox just hooked up to like your documents folder and all in the whole, or, do you, or is it like your whole hard drive? Can no, you? no, it's a very specific folder because there's certain things that, well, there's, there's not, there's, it's not like there's nothing on my hard drive I don't want on there, but there, I just only, I want to manage that separately. So it's its own folder and it's got its own stuff. And you, do you have, make a habit of just like putting all your important stuff in there? Kind of. I kind of decide what, what I want in there. Our podcast stuff is in there. There's a few other things that I use just kind of collected over the years that I stick in there just to have as references and things. So I have the system where my documents folder 
which is where I put like all my work and basically any files that I or someone else created that can't just be regenerated or downloaded. Mm -hmm. That goes in documents and that always gets backed up by the most things um, and has the most versions. And I also have uh, in, in my user home, fo- uh, home directory uh, in, in Mac OS, what do they call it now? Mac OS? Yeah. Um, I have a, so there's, there's my, there's the, my user folder, right? Which contains documents. And then it also contains like pictures and all that other crap. And so that kind of stuff backs up too. But um, I have a transient, a folder called transient. I think that's what I call it. Where I, if I'm going to like, let's say um, I've got a client sent me just some crap load of data. Like I, I had the other day, I had that SQL server database backup. It's like six gig or something. I don't want to put that in my documents folder because I don't want CrashPlan to send that <laughs> to the up to the internet. Right. Um, so I have this transient folder, and it's definitely stuff that I know is not getting backed up, and it's specifically excluded from any any backups. Mm. Um, and then, and then on my, I guess on my Synology, I put um, I have like t- fol- special folders on there. Or like I, I just have a, basically a folder for me on that I can copy all kinds of crap to. So I've got, oh my god, so many photos and wedding videos and just all kinds of stuff. <clears throat> and not only is that, that on Time Machine, but then my crash plan when I'm at my, I'm home network, my crash plan because uh, I have that that folder mounted on my computer. Crash plan backs that up from the Time Machine to my crash plan cloud or whatever. Mm. So, knock on wood. I shouldn't have any kind of catastrophic data losses. That does that really scares me. That's the kind of crap that keeps me up at night. Anyway, uh, we have some follow up um, that I wanted yeah. to get to. Actually, one thing that I meant to mention last week that I didn't. I think somebody pointed this out a couple of weeks ago. I we were talking about. Um, oh, I was just making the point how when I say when I talk about rest, I know I'm usually not talking about the purest form of rest that the Rastafarians would, you know. Rastafarians, is that a thing? Yeah, oh yeah. You didn't know that? No. Oh yeah, these are the, this is the group that, I mean, they'll absolutely just slap you silly for, you know, using an HTTP verb slightly incorrectly or, or not, not having, um, what's the, um, oh gosh, Hadios, not, you know, not, not having a completely self-discoverable you know, API or whatever, like you're, you're, but anyway, that it all goes back to this, this guy's, um, PhD, uh, paper on HTTP. And in fact, I mean, HTTP 1.1, well, I think was like made from his dissertation. I mean, he's basically like one of the HTTP authors, like creators mm-hmm. and, and like rest came out of that. I mean, he, I think he coined that as part of the representational state transfer or whatever. It's all about state and, these actions or whatever. But anyway, I think I, I think I got his name wrong. It's I think I call him Roy Fieldberg. It's Roy Fielding, I think. God, let me make sure <laughs> that I say that. Roy Fielding. Anyway, have you ever read his state document? No. Or his uh, REST Mm-mm. document? Um, yeah, just Google Roy Fielding REST paper. Uh, and it's it's uh, it's it's quite a read. I remember the first time I read that, I thought, oh, cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually like fully you know, understand rest, like finally, you know, and then it's like, <laughs> then I realized it's, it's a, literally a PhD dissertation. And I, I think I got for the, through the first like three pages out of like 500 or whatever it is. And I'm just like, I don't think this document's for me, <laughs> <laughs> but since then I've gone back to it actually to, to read some different things and 
I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things like the more as you experience, get more experience, mm-hmm. something that was like at one point almost meaningless to you becomes more meaningful in different ways. Or you can, like that's also why sometimes I'll go back and reread books every couple of years or so because I learn new things because I'm, di- I'm in a different place. I'm like, I don't know if I'm like, just learn more. I'm a more mature. I've had different experiences, but you can pick up stuff that you just weren't ready for previously. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but I have another piece of follow-up, which is this whole um, thing we talked about with lightning spinners everywhere, <laughs> spinners everywhere. <laughs> and, just, my, and my point on that was just how out of control it's gotten. Um, Salesforce themselves aren't too bad in most cases. It's really custom things that I see. And Salesforce is bad in some places too. Like you'll go to a, you know, you'll click a link and it loads a new screen and there's literally seven spinners just like frying your brain or whatever. You know, it's like, do you you remember the, um, what was the Halloween horror movie? I don't think it was called Halloween. It was, I think it was a different one, but it had like the eight more days till Halloween or silver shamrock. You remember that one? That was Halloween too, I think. Was it? it? But, but if, if the kids that watched that commercial, it had like that, had like a spinning shamrock and it like fried their brain or something. It fried their brains. Kill them, I guess. Mm-hmm. And like I, that's what these lightning spinners remind me of. I'm like, if I see too many of these things, I'm afraid I'm gonna <laughs> something's gonna go wrong. <laughs> I don't have I don't have many screws loose uh, left to lose. So, <laughs> so is your complaint just that there's too many spinners, or the fact that it's so slow that you have oh, to it's, have it's, spinners? It, it defeats it defeats the purpose. I mean, the spinners there. It's like a progress bar, just to let you know that hey, quick, don't don't keep clicking, don't like hit refresh. We're doing something. Like just wait a second, right? But the problem with progress bars, and especially if it's the fake progress bars, I hate fake progress bars, is that, uh, well, in the case of like these modern spa apps, JavaScript apps, each little component is doing all its own communicating. It's like independent, right? So they all have to have their own spinners. And it's, it, I don't want to say it's lazy design. It's just, it's just actually kind of bad design. So what's right. the alternative to that, though? I'm trying well, to think. I mean, so, I get... I, and and I, that was the question. So DZH asked, you know, what's... what He actually... That's exactly what he asked. He said, what's my... What do I suggest? What's my alternative when you're developing, you know, Aura or Lightning Web Components? Um, and and the, I think the biggest problem is you have all these different components that really aren't... Don't... They don't communicate together. They they may have a well-defined interface that they can kind of plug in or they're, compo- they're controlled by a parent component. Mm-hmm. But... For p- arguably good design reasons, they're all independent. But that means they're that means that they're not they're not optimized all to work together. So each one of them, when they load, is doing a handful of queries and right. waiting for these things to and or some kind of server calls or whatever. Right? They're going out and getting all kinds of data and setting their state and caching things or whatever. And so it's not being up. Op- There's nothing that says, okay, I've got these seven components on the page. You need accounts. You need accounts. You need accounts. You need a contact. You need- I'm going to group all those together, send one thing to the server, get an answer back instead of instead of 85. And that, in some cases, is a conservative number. Instead of 85 different HTTP calls, we're going to make one. That's too simplistic of a view, though. Because we kind of have that with the data services, when it, which is essentially a standard controller. If you're viewing an account 
and your component depends on that account, you just subscribe to that account and you get it all at once. They all have to be designed. That has to be. But that has most to be part of the stuff plan, we write. Right? Most of the stuff we're writing is is augmented functionality to create some kind of composite yeah. of data, and so we we have to go and and do the work of creating. You know, going and saying, "Hey, get me all the data, or let me initialize this." I I I know there's reasons why, and I'm not asking you to defend them. I know why. I know why. How I know how we ended up this way. Right. What I'm talking about is like, what do we? So, really identifying the problem and talking about what can be done about it. So, one simple thing that can be done without actually fixing any of your architecture: replace those spinners with the what's the the pattern that Facebook made famous with the uh, the placeholder? No. Um, crap. What's that called? Content content placeholder, I guess. That's what it's called, right? So, Well, Salesforce has that concept as well. And it's part of their design system to, that you would use that for empty content. Yes, yeah, Salesforce has it, right, in a lot of places. And but it's that's only for, for areas where you don't have content to display. Rather than just have an empty table, you would instead show this graphic. Right. And the thing is, the graphic, but it it's it's simply the way that it hits your brain it, and the way it's subtle. Like So it's like a, it's, it's a, they basically take the shape Kind of a similar shape of what the real thing is going to look like once it loads, and then they you know desaturate it, grayscale it, make it real subtle, right? And it's it's low contrast to the background, so it's like you know if your background color is white, it's going to be like this light gray, and it may have that subtle animation going through it, where like that it's kind of like a little darker gray gradient kind of goes across of it while it's loading. Does Salesforce do that? I know no. Facebook does. No. Okay, so Salesforce is just a static. It's just a static image that doesn't. Right. Okay. Uh, in either case, though, just it's subtle, right? It's subtle, and it's not spinning your brain to death with spinners. Yeah. So that alone would be an improvement, right? But we could, I mean, it would be an improvement. It's something we could do individually, but it would just not have a spinner. Can we just not have a spinner? I mean, does if you have seven components on the screen, do, do really all of them need spinners? Can we just not have spinners? Just nothing. Nothing would be better than seven spinners on the screen. And also, I mean, it's not, a, it's not even just the number. It's also the fact that, I mean, look at, and I see this on a lot of third-party apps or, mm -hmm. or custom, you know, corporate apps. Everything you click, everything you do, you're going to see a spinner for anywhere from a half a second to 10 seconds. Yeah. Every new screen, every little click, everything you do, there's a spinner. And, and part of that, again, is because we're in these, this asynchronous JavaScript world yeah. where everything has to be asynchronous. And I, and I get it, it's just... It's kind of lazy just to every time there's some kind of action, you show a spinner. Right. There's got to be a better way. And well, it gets kind of tough to manage. But uh, so one thing I have done is um, to try to mitigate that is I will because the best practice around loading that spinner is to not control it with an if or a if tag or anything and have it re-render is to have it render but hide it with CSS so that way when you need it you can show it and that way it's immediate when it shows and there's no there's no back and forth to the server or anything yeah. to communicate. So what I did is I used um, CSS to fade it in, and I put it on a delay. So whenever I call show spinner because I'm running something, I'll put it on a five or ten second delay. That way, it just yes. fades in. That's a great but idea. But if it comes if it comes back and responds in time, it it's it never you never, it never see it. See, you never yeah. see it. That's that's a really good little UX tip there. I like that because I hadn't thought about that one. But yeah, I've seen that done really well, and it's like. Yeah. I mean, I think in some of the, in fact, these apps I'm talking about, these custom apps and third-party apps, and I and and app exchange apps, I see if a lot of them just did that, it would it would cut down on the amount of spinners you see by ninety percent. I think so. I mean, <clears throat> I, I, at some point in my career, I got really 
crazy about spinners because I, I wanted to use spinners title. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we already had a uh, spinner title. <laughs> anyway, sorry. And I, I ended up starting to use spinners for the wrong reasons. Like I wanted it to show that the system got your command and it was doing something. So I got to the point where I was even adding a delay so that my spinner would show up. Because stuff was happening so fast, you wouldn't see a spinner. <laughs> you liked your spinner so much, you delayed. So <laughs> I, I, would did. I did. I made this mistake. And, and, and then I, it, but I, I was serious about it. I was like, I want to show a spinner because I want something to show to happen. And it's not like it's an invalid thing. I had users that would click on something and nothing would show up. And I was like, well, there's nothing to bring back. But the, and they're like, well, I don't know that. Well, that's a, and so that's I, a so different I, problem, though, right? Well, that's, it is. Yeah. But I tried to solve that problem by, by forcing a spinner to show for a minimal amount of time so that you so that you see it doing something. Yeah. So it didn't seem like it just wasn't working. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which is kind of the point of the spinners is just to let you know that, hey, something's working. Even though, unfortunately, oftentimes that's a big fat lie and the app is broken and the spinner's never going to go away. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so th there was a bit of that where where I was trying to force spinners to show up and I wanted them to show up to to indicate that, but I don't, I don't subscribe to that anymore. I, I think that was a big mistake and I think... I just think it should it just come down to user training. Or if there's no data, because it would just be an empty thing, um, have an image, and then maybe for for those situations where people need the most recent uh, data, and this is something Salesforce does too with like their list views, it show the last time it refreshed. So the last time you clicked it, and that changes. So they at least get some indication that, oh, I clicked it, it last refreshed a second ago, that was me. Mm. So I know it's current, there's yeah. nothing here. Versus forcing a spinner just for the sake of saying, yep, I got your command. I'm doing something. Yep. Yeah, so I think the delay thing makes a lot of sense. The content, okay, man, if you combine delays with content placeholders and just not showing some spinners that really don't even need to be shown ever, I mean, that would be a huge improvement. And then another thing I think that helps just generally the situation a lot, and I know, you know, in the um, Salesforce space, this may be hard at the moment still. But, you know, GraphQL keeps getting more and more popular. Um, yeah, it's on my, my research list yeah. right now. It's something I've been wanting to get to. But in, in what, you know, for people who don't know GraphQL, it's, it's basically a way to say, in, instead of having, um, so typical, you know, data APIs, I guess, are, you know, get me this record by this ID or mm -hmm. um, get, get me this set of records that, that uh, have where state equals Texas or, you know, some kind of, and then you get this full list of records back and it's, you know, they've got every field populated. But then now if you need their contacts or whatever, you know, you've got other queries. And, and of course, Salesforce has relationship queries, which is, which actually to some degree helps us. And, and in some cases is very useful. But GraphQL is basically, you can specify a custom whole tree of things you want, including which properties on all those different things you want so that it's only bringing you and querying and transporting the things mm -hmm. you need. And, you know, you can take what used to require, you know, 40 separate calls, and it, it might boil down just to one GraphQL call. And so that could dramatically improve the whole just this asynchronous spinners from different components and things. I mean, you still have to have, you still have to build that, you still have to architect around that, that mm -hmm. capability. The problem with trying to architect that into the Salesforce world is, you'd still have to do a DML for each one of those. If you had a tree that goes down three levels oh, deep. Oh, that's, that's fine. That's an implementation detail. And that's all happening between an app server and a, and a database server that, are, that are, should be close, very close to each other in the same data center and have extremely low latency. So that's not a problem. 
it's it's much better than each call being something across the internet, which is you're talking about, you know, hundreds. I'm not talking about performance. I'm just talking about limit mitigation. If you were to apply that concept to Salesforce, uh, yeah, uh, that's a whole other thing. Salesforce limits, but yeah, you could run into that. But it doesn't really matter at this point because you can't do this with Salesforce. I think graph. I swear I've seen some GraphQL announcements from Salesforce. I think they're playing with it, looking into it. Mm. I mean, they'd almost have to be at this point. I'm sure there's some kind of Skunk Works project. Maybe, yeah. What's going to be, It'd I be mean, interesting I'm, to know if there was a, some kind of <clears throat> list of all the all the uh, R and D they're doing on different technologies. You're kidding at Salesforce. They're not going to tell you anything about that. Well, there's no reason for them to tell anybody. It just would be kind of cool to see that list. Sure, there's <clears> reasons. <throat> I have reasons why I'd like for them to tell me what they're working on. Why they're I mean, you, you can't use it, and you won't ever be able to use it unless it gets a, a GA. It's, it's just more of a, a pure it's, curiosity. It's just so I can calibrate my level of despair. It could it could backfire <laughs> on you though. You could see namespaces on that list and go, "Oh my god, I'm going to get namespaces." <laughs> Ten years later, you're still waiting on namespaces. It all comes back to namespaces, doesn't it, John? <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, uh, all right. Are you ready for the next, this next beer? Ooh, kind of popped a little bit. Have you seen these cans before? That the whole, the wide mouth? Why are you not paying attention to me? Did yeah, I've seen those, yeah. Well, Four Corners had those in town. Really? But they just um, discontinued them. They've always had that. And they just, because the, whoever supplied these, um, it's just stopping. So I bet you that, who, who is this brewery? This is uh, Mike Hess. Brewing also San Diego, I think. Yeah, San Diego. This is a blood orange IPA. Does orange go good with peanut butter and chocolate? Yeah, it does. <laughs> oh my gosh. Everything for you, John. I'm an invalid. You kind of are. You are invalid. Yep. Oh. All right. Well, what's on your uh, what's on your mind this week? Do you want to talk about any any interesting stuff from your new job? I'm still trying to figure that stuff out. <laughs> yeah, I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can certainly go down and rants. I mean, I, there's there's different areas like code quality that we could talk about. There's different areas like the wrong the wrong place to put abstractions. Um, <laughs> some of it is 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 lessons I've learned, and I see them doing this stuff. I'm going, yeah, I learned not to do that a while ago. But uh, and then there's other things I'm going that just did not make sense. I mean, I'd see what you were trying to do there, but is just the wrong place to put oh, that yeah. abstraction. Yeah, uh, and so some of it, I, I feel, I wonder if it comes down to laziness, meaning they just didn't want to write a component for each one, so they thought if they wrote one component, they could just reuse it and it would, they would be good. Um, or if it was truly intentional that they thought they were going to save themselves time and effort by building certain abstractions, and I just, it doesn't matter either way. I have to unravel it, but. It's it's kind of good and bad. It's bad in that you see it and I have to fix it, but it's kind of good because I see, it, like it's almost good. It's it's almost just as good to know what not to do as it is what to do. I guess and the ramifications There's, of it because I can sit here and anecdotally <laughs> say, yeah, you shouldn't do that because it might cause this or it might cause that. But now I can say, yeah, this sucks because I can't do this. I can't. And I can speak in certain terms that this is really a bad idea. Yeah, and I got to. I know, I know you do. I mean, obviously, anytime we talk about our employer or client stuff, we have to we have to be, you know, careful because sure. number one, I don't want to got to make sure we don't divulge any, you know, secret information or whatever, um, or anything that would just be considered like strategic or 
proprietary or whatever. Um, but also, you know, also, you, you kind of just, you don't want to also dog your own company or you don't want it to be, you don't want, even if you don't mean to, you don't want it to come across as like, uh, even, even just like airing dirty laundry. It's like, hey, that's our dirty laundry. Like, keep it, don't air it. Like, keep it, you know. <laughs> but, the, but the reality is, is that, um, I mean, all companies have all kinds of problems. And well, it's code and all code at some yeah. point. Yeah. is bad. All code, it kind of deteriorates. It doesn't really last, stand the test of time. It's really something that has to be maintained and cleaned and groomed and everything else. Yep. It's It takes maintenance. Yeah. And old code just sitting there, just, it doesn't last. Right. I mean, languages develop new features and technologies change and APIs change and frameworks Of course, not change. much of that excuse, not much of that excuses some of the stuff you're, you're saying now, though, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sometimes uh, code is just bad. Uh, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, uh, exactly. Because you were saying that you know, it's, it's not kind of nice to see. You're like, okay, you know, I see what they do. They This is probably not a great idea. There's other ways to do it, but um, it's good just to point that out. Like, that's how you did it, and you shouldn't have done it that way because of this. Except that, and I'll just speak generically now, but sometimes code is just, just prima facie, such bad code, or it was such a bad idea what happened, what was done, that, that there is no lesson there. There is no... Uh, you you know it was a trade off and you made it and then, you know it turns out you know that was uh, that the path you went down ended up being a dead dead technology or whatever or, or got obsoleted by some no it just was is bad was bad was always bad will always be bad it should be burned to the ground <laughs> and replaced with something you know some sometimes you just you don't have to have that conversation it's like nope this is horrible and that's all there is to it <laughs> you talking about aura <laughs> no actually I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Aura. I do feel like Aura was a misguided project, but I think it served a purpose. And it, it, it given when they probably started that that project to to where it is now, and the shift in technology and everything else happened kind of midstream of that. They kind of had to complete it, get it going. And that's and, it's and very pivot. nice of you to give <clears throat> them that pass, but or to that benefit of the doubt, I guess it. That's that's. I'll say that that's nice of you. <laughs> you're not. You're a nicer man than I am, John. Well, let's think back three three years ago when Lightning was announced. However long ago it was announced, and how even even we were saying Salesforce has got to change. They got to modernize. The technology is getting old. It's stale. No one builds software like this anymore. They're basically JSPs, and now they come out with Lightning, which is supposed to modernize the platform. But it was already built on legacy technology. At the, by the time it got even prematurely released, because it was definitely not ready when it was released. We're only now getting to the point where it's ready enough that they're going to start forcing users to to use it. I mean, and it's not that, you know, I mean, I think Lightning, it's not that it's not useful. Um, I think there's some benefits to the to the UI paradigms, I'll use that term, that it that it allowed. And it, it was, if nothing else, simply just allowed them to modernize the look and feel of Salesforce. Um, but given that so much of Salesforce is actually still slower than it is than Classic, and this problem I, I have with all these custom and third-party apps that that are doing all kinds of stuff badly in Lightning. That, that it, you just you didn't. Yes, you could write bad Visual Force apps, certainly. But like Lightning gives you whole new ways to do bad apps, which you and I have seen. I mean, I'm just that's what I'm with the just the spinners is just one example of many. Um, I and I just I just wonder if I don't know. I feel like I feel like because for a lot of reasons, plus the also the programming model, which I was talking about earlier. What's the, I don't know what the right term is for that. I used to use the term programming model. I've heard now like the developer UX of things. Um, I, 
Aura just comp- even even for when it was first launched, it was kind of DOA. It just it never was like oh this is this is up this is up to par at least it it just never really was. I mean, I get the problems they were trying to solve, and I appreciate the direction they went with that, which is still where they're going today with with web components. It's just. And I didn't mean I, to. I didn't mean to bring this back up. By the way, I don't. I don't. I don't can intend on just continually, you know, beating Salesforce up over over Aura. It, it you know, it got I, it got them down the road. Yeah. They certainly got a hell of a lot of mileage about it on press and marketing everything. So probably was oh business wise a a good investment, and it's also you know leading to LWC, which is amazingly actually compatible with in in a lot of ways with with Aura. I mean. In fact, they were. It wasn't Salesforce con- converting a lot of things to Lightning, and that are part of the Salesforce, and we really didn't even know it was happening. It was somewhat transparent. Yeah, I mean, the big thing, the big, the, to me, the big um, improvement of of LWC is 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 the developer UX or the DX. Well, the, the DX is is uh, it's it's an improvement for sure. I mean, if we want to get into to DX. I, I was using DX in a very like lowercase DX, like the developer. Begin back to like the programming model, what it's like as a developer, the the developer aesthetics of working with a certain technology. Well, it kind of it still it still applies to the conversation that we're having about kind of some of the challenges I'm seeing and some of the things I'm facing with this this application, and some of it is just just the the experience did get better with DX. I mean, you're able to create scratch orgs. I'm able to to create all these different things and. It, it, it's it's just a better experience. I know, I know that. I don't know how we got from LWC to that, but well, because our original, if we, I didn't mean stack. to distract you with the term developer experience. I I was not talking about like SFDX or any of that stuff. I'm talking. I was talking generically about what it's like to work with it, and I'm saying LWC is a big step forward. And what I'm saying is DX is a much better way of working with with Salesforce versus the other tooling that okay. we've had, right? I distracted you, but that's okay. It's fine. <laughs> Squirrel. It's fine. <laughs> I don't even know where we were. I can't even pop the stack because uh, no, I, I, I can't even see it. Um, but the, yeah, the, that all came from the question, the DZH's question. But what's the alternative to spinners? No, it's no. That's no. That was before that. No, no, no. I'm saying that was that's what led into this whole conversation. We have not no. moved on from that. Yes, we did. And what did we move on to? You asked me if I wanted to talk about the stuff I'm I'm facing and some of the stuff I'm learning. Oh, okay. Well, then we, I feel like we came back to that somehow. Maybe not. It all it all ties. You together, brought it back. Uh, maybe I did. Because <laughs> <clears throat> uh, I was talking about good code versus bad code, scalable code, code that needs to be maintained, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm. Yeah. The, I think. I, mean, I think it'll be. I think the, I'm actually looking forward to the updates we're going to be getting from you because this is a different. It's a different area than what you've worked in before. It's an well, it's ISV, for, right? It's yeah. you're going to be working with a, like a lot of um, packaging stuff. Automation, you know, all, all the ISV kind of all the tooling around ISV stuff. So that that'll be interesting because there's that, that's actually a somewhat complex space, especially if you tie into that all the again. I think I said automation, but just the automation that you need around like builds and tests and deploying and getting things to the different orgs, and it's going to be a lot of opportunities for you to start, you know, y- using some of these packaging things. I think more intentionally and as a part of like the overall architecture of, of, this, of whatever app you're building. 
Yeah, it does kind of change things for me because, I mean, it, just going back to DX, it was one of those things that I, I knew about, I was aware of, but I didn't have any practical use for it. You know, I was doing implementations for clients and they just didn't need that. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're just going to write a quick trigger or something, you don't need to set up a whole DX project for that. Yeah, why would I use an org that expires in seven days? Yeah. <laughs> that just that just pisses people off. It's still, even though I tell them, or else, you, actually, I think I've standard now, just like set it to the 30 days, which is the max. But I'll tell people, like, listen, they're like, oh, can I check out, you know, can I get into your, your org and uh, do something in it? I'm like, well, yeah, sure. I mean, don't mess anything up. This is my development org. And also, it's, it expires on this day. So, yeah. Don't be surprised. I'm telling you right now. I'm warning you. Don't be. Don't don't get mad. And don't be surprised. And <laughs> it doesn't matter how many times you tell them that they are mad and surprised when it happens. Can I tell you? I have a hard time with with the fact that these orgs exist and they expire, but they're kind of still there in my my alias, and I got to go and clean them up. I, I don't like things being there that that don't exist or things that I that shouldn't be there. Well, they will stop showing up automatically. You'll you'll you'll, yeah, you'll have like a. I think you'll have an orphaned alias at that point. That's this. Yeah. That's what I mean. I have to clean up the aliases, and I think in. In Illuminate Cloud, they sit there in the folder structure as well. Like they're still there, and I, I haven't figured out if I should go in and clean them up or not. But they're still there. Uh, Environment Hub is another one. There's so much crap in Environment Hub. It's and it's hard to and I and, I want them gone, yeah. but they're technically not gone. There's no way to delete an org that's even though it's flagged as deleted. I'm just you can just remove it from your Environment Hub, and it's technically still out there somewhere. And that that bothers me. Yeah, and, and also, I want to know it's gone. Yeah, yeah. Let me delete. <laughs> I want to clean the house. I want to do some spring cleaning, and I can't. I have all this stuff, and it doesn't make any sense to keep it there. It's, it's just confusing. It's, you're like, what stuff do I have floating out in the clouds that I don't know about? Yeah. And also, like, the UX of Environment Hub, it's so close to being useful, but it's just, it leaves enough things to be desired that it pisses me off. More, yeah. more often than not. Well, the other problem it's causing is, is, so going back to packaging and security review and all that kind of stuff, we're creating orgs off of trial or off of template orgs and things like that, is you're having to reference the ID. So you're having to basically reference everything by physical ID, the org ID. And even when you try to go do security review, you have to know the ID because it's in a dropdown. And if you have like multiple items in that dropdown, you don't know which one it is and it tries to match up your org with your username. And it's just all confusing. Like, there's no naming of anything yeah. in that world. Yeah. So it's just, which I get. I mean, I, you really want to reference it by ID, but it'd be nice to have the ID and the name so I can at least kind of understand it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this ISV type stuff, because it's a, such a smaller audience. So it, crusty. I mean, if you think normal Salesforce stuff doesn't get enough polish, look, wait, you know, <laughs> use some of the ISV stuff. It is lacking yeah. the polish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Still lo- looks... A lot of little classic looking stuff, and I really, I don't like that Salesforce. I, how can I say this without sounding mean? I don't like that Salesforce eats its own dog food and creates managed packages. There, that's what I want to say. You don't like it that they do do that? I don't like that they do that. Okay, why not? It shouldn't isn't. I thought it was normally good to eat your own dog food. I know, I know, and that's why I'm kind of hesitant about saying that. But I just don't like it. I don't like that the fact that I need. Well, if I'm going to do license management in my org, I have to install the package. If I'm going to do feature management in my org, I have to install the package. Why can't I just in- enable the feature and have it just turned on with native objects? If I'm going to use field service lightning, I don't want to have to install the damn package. If I want to use financial cloud or health cloud, I don't want to have to install a damn package. Well, uh, 
Okay, I'll defend Salesforce. I'll, let's let's, right. let's flip the roles here. Let's John. go. <clears throat> um, the thing is, is these teams that are doing these things with managed packages, because they're using, uh, as a part of using packages, instead of, that, that allows them to run at whatever speed they want to run at. They don't have to integrate with the core platform team's you know, sprints and releases and all that crap. They can just be independent of that if they were willing to install via packages and not have it be something that's native. And there's a huge value to that. Well, some downside, because it's it feels it doesn't feel native. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you though that some of these, some of these, like the LMA and some of these other things, they they had they do have some magic that I don't think is available to normal managed packages. Yeah, they do. It seems like. Yeah. But I'm just saying in general, it just it's the way you configure these systems, the way you work with these systems, the fact that it's a package means that you're bound by the same limitations that everyone else is on metadata. So I take Field Service Lightning, for example. Once you configure it, the best way to implement Field Service Lightning is in production. Because once you configure it and everything, all that config is data. There's no good way to get that data from one area to another. And because they're all IDs and everything, everything's referenced by IDs, you have to recreate those references. So it ends up becoming a mini-migration to get all your config for FSL from one org to another. Yeah. And I got to think that that wouldn't be the case if it was native. That it would be deploy this feature. Here's the metadata. Here's the config page in setup for you to do this. Migrate. But because so much of it is data, there's really no good way to migrate that config. Mm. That or Salesforce needs to come up with another tooling that lets us move this type of config data. And I'm not talking about custom metadata types. I'm talking about just record type data. What are you talking? Got head? Yeah, you got head. <laughs> A little too much. <clears throat> All right, John. Well, let's see. Next on my list is uh, something from friend of the show, Nico Grant, writer for Bloomberg. Nice. Not the other one that you, any pig with lipstick can write for. What was that one? Forbes. Forbes, yeah. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I met him, I was like, at first I was like, God, I can't remember who he writes for. I hope it's not Forbes, though. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said Bloomberg. I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> uh, now, he had an article. This was actually a while back. It was, it was in response to the... Um, did the Tableau acquisition. We had a couple of good points. I don't think I ever talked about this, so I wanted to go back and do it. But anyway, um, this is a quote from, I don't know, some analyst. But he says, he says, business intelligence is not Salesforce's core competence, and therefore, uh, there's much that Tableau does that doesn't pertain to the CRM world, making the fit slightly imperfect. I actually think it might make it more of a complementary fit, but okay. Um, and he said the acquisition is also an, an implicit admission that Salesforce's analytics product, Wave, was a flop. And then we've kind of talked about, like, especially, well, the weird thing is now how it's like Wave doesn't exist and never existed. Like, what's the, what, who, what's the, the, it's like a mind trick. What's the, um, come on, the give me mind the freak guy? No, uh, no, no, Chris no, no, Angel? No, Star Wars. Oh, the, the Jedi mind Kenobi. trick. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, <laughs> this is, this is not the analog, analytics product you were looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I remember us talking about that. I remember you were making the argument that they, or at least some people were making the argument that they didn't get into analytics soon, or they didn't get into analytics when they did with Wave. It just didn't turn out to be the greatest product. 
Uh, there was a lot of things wrong with it. There was a lot. It was it was basic in its features. They were charging quite a bit for it, and they certainly relaxed that. But by then, the hype was pretty much gone from it. I think anyone who needed it had already found other tools. And you know, essentially, Salesforce created a lot of PR for the analytics area for customers who were like, "Oh, okay, well, maybe we should look into analytics." Oh, Wave doesn't do what we want. Is there other things that do what we want? And I think that's true of kind of any major announcement that they make. Yeah. It kind of it kind of drives that that industry a bit. Anyway, <clears throat> I mean, I, I don't know that much about Wave, and I, I never really used it, so I, I'm only just seeing from my perspective what what it seems like. Think what that just Wave got you know dismissed or whatever, and, and it's, it's just really it's just, cumbersome to work with. The tooling was kind of difficult trying to trying to create your models and chain them together, or even make modifications after the fact was really difficult. Um, there were, you, you could have something and I'm calling them models. I forgot what all the terminology is, but you have like data and lenses, uh, lenses. Yeah. But you could have like something in your data model, I think is what they were called them data models that were there, but some, for some reason they wouldn't show up in your lens and you had all these kind of synchronization issues. And it just was this really complicated thing that in order just to get your data correctly, it just wasn't easy enough. There there wasn't enough tooling there to kind of guide you through there and to make it easy to, to get done. Not to mention there weren't any kind of built-in functions or algorithms or anything like that. You were stuck with basic sum, roll-up type, type stuff. Mm. Not the uh, not quite artificial intelligence. <laughs> no, uh, what are they called? Regression algorithms? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but it's just interesting to see a, an analyst say that it was a flop. Um, Why is that nice? It, it, I, said, I didn't say nice. I said oh. interesting. You said nice. I said interesting. Said, it's just nice to see it. <laughs> well, maybe, just, I mean... I guess it's interesting, nice, validating, refreshing, what, whatever, refre- or just that, yeah, that that someone that someone's acknowledging that what we were kind of thinking, like, is was this a flop or is it why is it just disappeared? Is it now like the redheaded stepchild? What's going on here? Because I don't really know. I mean, I I really don't know. I just all I can do is uh, well, it's been integrated, and it's being used, but it's being used in in a lot of different areas you know, for a lot of different things. To me, the the saddest part, if if and if Wave does end up just kind of going away or whatever, <clears throat> is that that Wave team was probably one of like, in my f- perception, one of the biggest contributors to open source. Hmm. I mean, they, I think they create like, at, you know, whole cloth created new Apache projects that have to do with like the whole Spark and Pig and I, I can't remember which one they, which one they created, but. And they were, I don't know, they were contributing kind of to that whole stack. So I'm sure a bunch of smart people, and they were, you know, again, creating actual new technology, which is not something Salesforce has done a lot of. Salesforce uses, I mean, I've always said this, they've been a huge user of open source, and they kind of cobble these things together and tie a bow around it and put an enterprise sales team on it, and it's, you know, make a lot of money. Um, this was an area where they were actually creating some interesting technology. It, it's, it's very much under the hood. It's not something you're going to see. Or you're not mm-hmm. going to interact with. It's pig, right? The I don't know Spark language or something. Like a the other way, I don't. I don't think you. I don't. Wave isn't going away. It's going to be there. It's just going to get more and more integrated, and it'll likely yeah. drop its license fee, and it'll just become used for certain aspects that require a little bit more data, yeah. like the monitoring tools and, and things like that. that they're using it for today. So you think it'll? So you're saying it'll just continue to exist as a separate product from Tableau? I don't know that it looks exist as a separate product. I think eventually it'll just become part of the platform and used for very specific use cases. Gotcha. Whereas Tableau will become the new analytics cloud. And the last thing on here that 
Nico uh, was covering was the whole customer 360 thing. Have you been hearing that a lot, seeing that everywhere? Yeah. yeah. So I think this is a Benioff. Uh, this is Benioff, yes. Uh, we've pivoted our entire company into something that we call customer 360. That's a – by the way, have we talked about what a creative and unique name that is? It's It's – been around for forever. I mean, how many how many of these companies talk about the 360 view and of the customer and all that? Okay. Anyway. Well, not to distract you, but same thing for center of, center of excellence. What's <laughs> what's Office called? 360 or 365? 365. Oh, circle. Okay. Uh, on Monday, Benioff tweeted that Tableau accelerates the quote customer 360 dream unquote acknowledging that Salesforce didn't have all the capabilities to pull it off, even with MuleSoft's data integration tools. But now they do. They've got them all, John. Now Salesforce can uniquely, is uniquely positioned to deliver true customer 360. Well, sure, they've got MuleSoft to collect and gather all the data, and they have Tableau to analyze it all. Yeah. And let's see, they've got their CDP, their customer data platform, which I still don't fully understand. Something that the marketing people say all the time. Anyway, so uh, yeah, go check out our friend Nico at Bloomberg. He uh, he covers was it Salesforce and some other big tech companies, but he's on he's on my uh, subscribe list now because he actually does his he actually does some homework before he writes an article. <laughs> <laughs> so rare, you know. This isn't Forbes, right? Should I play that uh, for people who uh, for the new folks? Let's see. You can find it. Yeah. I told you this is exactly what was going to happen. Any monkey with, with a set of lipstick on their pig lips can write it for Forbes. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I like about that clip is that he he like fudges it and it, you know, it's like, I don't think he, I don't think those words came out quite right. <laughs> That's part of what makes it funny for me. It makes it just genuine. Right? Yeah, it does. It was definitely off the cuff. Well, we, uh, we we're finally getting some more information on the tablet acquisition. We, I don't know if you saw that article that was posted in Slack today, but I did. I think uh, I think I saw that one. Where was that one? I mean, what? Who? Which? Uh, Geekwire is where this one was. Geekwire. Well, oh, I think I did see. There that. was there was some tweets about it, but I found the original. The original. I think the original article was from Geekwire or something along those lines. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the details have kind of been revealed a bit on the story and how long it actually took and the amount of iterations and kind of negotiations that happened between Salesforce and Tableau. Is this interesting? Is this? Um, you know, like they. they they really had all the steps that this went through. Was this leaked or is this a standard like SEC disclosure thing where they, they after the deal is done, they kind of have to disclose the process they went through? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I don't not, my, not my forte to, to know, but it, I mean, it, 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 it does paint a pretty, pretty lengthy picture. Yeah, they had a all months, the back and forth. Like the, a the months long um, impasse over the, just the valuation of Tableau, right? Which I guess is common. It's like, you want to buy something that, I want to sell you. We're going to haggle over the price, right? Yeah, I mean, there's there's haggling over the price. I mean, there's some drama thrown in there with the fluctuations of the market and, and you know, straight hardline rejections of offers and then and then uh, getting to a certain point and, and kind of asking for exclusive negotiating rights and everything with, with a monetary fee associated to it if they reneged on that and everything. $550 billion? No, million. I think million, it's in the billions. Million. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. That would have been yeah, a billion. <laughs> that would have, <been, laughs> have been a little steep. I mean, even $552 million, though, that's, uh, yeah. that's probably far more money than Tableau's ever made. Well, that, that's, that's how you secure that. Yeah. <laughs> secure that. <clears throat> uh, let's see. What else was in here? Um, 
on on this topic or something else? Uh, so Sales, no, on the same one. So Salesforce, yeah, they made their first offer in February, and the board, Tableau's board, immediately rejected it, saying it undervalued them. And then, yeah, for, over the next four months, there was just a lot of back and forth. Uh, yeah, first offer. All stock deal at a valuation of $157 a share, uh, which at that time was would have valued them at $14 billion. And then nine days later, Salesforce offered $170 a share. Uh, that also was viewed as too undervalued. Mm-hmm. And they had a bunch of meetings, and Tableau came back and said, okay, we'll take $190 a share. But Salesforce immediately turned around and said, well, no, but we'll give you $177. Yep. Uh, and then that's when Salesforce asked Tableau to enter into exclusive negotiations. Basically, they agreed to go steady, right? Okay, I don't want you dating anyone else. Yeah, pretty much. <clears throat> Be my girlfriend. Yep. And then uh, I guess Tableau picked a pitch. Oh, they pitched a floating value of one seventy five to one eighty. So hey, we're going to land somewhere in here based on what our public stock price does until this deal closes. Which is funny that they landed on the lowest part of that range. That's why you never give ranges. But they ended up at what well, it was one seventy five where they ended up finally. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. You know that, right? You never never give a range. <laughs> well, the problem it, it seems natural to want to give a range, but people are always going to try to default to the lower range, lower number. So just yeah. just give them the top line range or right. the top line of your range. Yeah, and say that's what it is. If your if your range, even when you're estimating hours, if it's like ten to twenty hours, say twenty hours. Right. Yeah, because a range also implies a minimum and a maximum. Right. And I've learned my lesson on that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was uh, that's it's kind of fun fun to see the, the what the what those negotiations look like, how that how that stuff actually happens. Yeah. I, so other people highlighted this as well, but I thought it, was, it kind of talked a little bit about what Tableau was looking to get out of the deal. Uh, it does appear that this was a part of a um an official release. So all these, all this tech, all this information. Okay, it was from a filing or something. I guess that has to yeah. disclose all this information. Uh, but it said, but it, interesting enough, it says the Tableau is looking to get more resources in order to expand its uh, offerings. And I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means they want to expand the tool itself, they've or just they're just given, looking for more marketing. They've just dollars. been given like eighteen million, eighteen billion dollars, John. That's a lot of resources. Right, but is that <laughs> is that essentially to build out more features, or is that essentially marketing dollars? I, 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 I don't sure know both. enough about Tableau to know if it's if it's their feature wise, but was struggling to kind of compete with their others others, and just an infusion of marketing dollars is going to take them over the edge, or if they're lacking significant features and they need that money to start building that out so they can compete. I would guess across the board, right? Just a, a bit of both. Yeah, I would think sure. so. <clears throat> sure, it's a nice consultant answer. Yep, it depends. <laughs> depends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's good. I think it's good to hear that stuff. I, I don't know. I don't know what impact it has to anything, but I, I, I like hearing the process and kind of understanding it. Um, I, I want to. We don't want to. Yeah, we have this Boeing like outsourcing hell. Boeing. Oh God, yes, we got to talk about okay. that. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. So to set the stage, this is the <laughs> the what is it? The seven thirty seven Max. Yeah. That that's the plane that's been uh, grounded pretty much. Universally yeah, at this point. A glitch in the software, yeah. In fact, um, you know, poor Southwest, who is one of our big... Oh, they're yeah, based here, yeah, there's, right? there's a hub yeah. here. Um, yeah, so we have American so, and Southwest here. Yeah, so, I mean, a huge percentage of the flights in and out of Dallas are not available now, which makes the remaining ones more expensive. So, every you know, every time we travel now, it's... it's 
you've taken every all these airplanes out of service, and it just it's decreased the supply of flights, right? So everything's gotten more expensive now. Which yeah, but is, you know what's funny? Which for consumers, that's that's what sucks. What, you know, what's funny is they had to bring back some planes that were out of service, and guess what? The seats got bigger. <laughs> I know that. That's a good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like noticing. Hey, there's a little bit more room here. Yeah. yeah. You know, I can I can wiggle a bit. I can put my and, tray down. And they leaned back, and it wasn't like in my gut. And I mean, were these things really ready to go? Aren't these just rusty pieces of crap? Weren't they taken out of service for a reason? Well, I tried not to think about that. Because I remember it wasn't too long ago when American Airlines was still flying these MD-80s that were older than I am. <laughs> well, if you maintain something, you so can keep it for a long I always, time. I have a rule now. When I right when as I'm stepping on the airplane, if you look in the the door jam of the door when you're stepping onto the airplane, there's a like a certificate that's like a metal certificate that's stamped and like nailed, like riveted into the door jam, and it's got its manufacture date. And if it's older than I am, I will not fly on that plane. That's my new rule. Did I tell you I touch the plane before I get on every time? Is that what you're calling it now? <laughs> <laughs> I do, though. Okay. Right before I walk in, I, I always touch the plane. Touch the plane. And I noticed the other day, I'm not the well, only one. As that... soon as you step on it, you're touching the plane, John. No, right before I step on it. Okay. Touch the plane, then I get on it. I don't know why. I just always don't do, right. do that. Okay. Getting people's germs on your hand? Probably, yeah. but I just touched the for plane. all the all you plane touchers. You're getting you're sharing your germs. We're all sharing germs. It's recycled air. That's true. There's no getting around it. Yeah, you, know, you don't wear the the surgical mask. Uh, I'm not that crazy. What do you call them? Plane touchers. Plane touchers. Yeah, that's what you guys are. All right. So the 737 Max. Um, the first thing I'll, before we even get into the article <clears throat> that I think they screwed up on this plane was, you know, it's an it's a new design, but they. And I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher the terminology here, but there's a there's a concept in in uh, with airplanes that's especially on the big the big commercial ones. There's like a they have classes, and so mm -hmm. like if you're certified to fly a 737, you can probably fly like a 737-200 to 737-100 or seven. Right? There's all these variations that if they're in the same, there's a term. I, I'm, I'm not gonna get the term right, but it's like I'm gonna say class. Then if you're a pilot and you've been certified in that class, you can fly any of those planes. Mm -hmm. Well, they went to ridiculous extents, supposedly, from people who know more about this than I do, I've read, that um, to, to make the 737 MAX the same class as 737, even though it's like should not be. They don't fly the same. They're completely different. I think, actually, they fly completely differently. But if you're a 737 pilot, you can fly the, they class it so you can fly the 737 MAX. And the way, the reason they were able to do that is because they have software that is real-time modifying all the instruments and controls to make it feel like a 737. Jeez, this was just bad decisions is, all the way So right, around. right out of, right off the design board, it's a bad idea. Right. I mean, there are so many Boeing screwed this thing up in so many different ways. And of course, the art, you know, the article that we're looking at here is, of course, how they they outsource a ton of their software development to just to it's, it's not necessarily it's not necessarily how much they paid although i think that's i think that's part of it cost cutting is, is part of the story right but it's just they were they did it sloppily i there you know it's one thing to have offices in lower cost lower cost places in the world makes sense uh, and in fact i think that's the way Companies who are big enough to be able to do this that want to take advantage of lower cost parts of the world or parts of a country, even if we're just talking, talking domestically, you really have to have offices there, kind of. Mm -hmm. um, especially in places, like, especially in other cultures or other time zones where 
um, you need people, you need good people who are managing that business, right? Who are part of the culture, part of the time zone, part, you know, th- you know, that can that can run that. It can be in person, you know. And but that's not outsourcing. That's which that's, I, which that's, I think that's is really the not big outsourcing. Difference. No, it's not. It's yeah. it's just globalization. I guess I don't right. even know what you call that. Because I've seen that work. I've seen I've worked with people that were in other locations, and it worked out because they were employees. Exactly. They weren't. It wasn't outsourced being managed by, by way, some shadow manager who managed a team of shadow people. Um, Martin Fowler has a really good article on this, and he's a guy who not only is he a really well respected software engineer and thought leader, but he has a great article, and because he, he's got a lot of experience on this, on how to do this. And a lot of, I mean, and I have, it's been so long since I actually read this. I don't even know what the article is called. I'm, I'm going to try to make a note to put it in the show notes. But I mean, a lot of what I, uh, that my opinions on this came from some of his thoughts that like I've co-opted. That I've, I've kind of co-opted <laughs> in a way, but I've, through my just experience and observations, have I've validated. And I, so mm-hmm. I, I now just, I've adopted, I've adopted, not co-opted, John. Um, <clears throat> but what Boeing did was, was not that they, what they did was they, they did outsource. They took specifications or requirements for freaking millions of lines of code flight systems and tossed them over a wall to another company who supposedly, and I'm sure they do have experts or, or whoever they, you know, the companies that are involved, HCL, that was the one that was mentioned the most, but, um, they probably do. I'm sure HTL has many smart people that work there, but they also have probably lots and lots and lots of the lower skilled. And, and I don't even know if that's what caused this problem. I think the, I mean, right off the bat, the, the, what caused, what, what creates problems that are hard to overcome is that outsourcing men- mentality that we're going to take something that is our core value add. It should be something that is a, I mean, Boeing's core, some of their core capabilities are creating these flight systems. You can't outsource that. You can't outsource it. Yeah. I mean, there's, and there's, and it's, it's a little tricky because there's some things that you do outsource. Like for example, I don't think Boeing builds engines, like Rolls-Royce builds engines and BMW builds jet engines, right? I think I heard they don't even own the engines. They lease the engines. They probably do. they do you remember this? Um, so a company we used to do, both do some work for, they had a client that was in the just jet business. Mm-hmm. And it was very, I learned a lot from that actually, how much of just on any given airplane, like how much crap is actually leased. It's like, yeah. it, the business models are so weird. And just the way it's all financed and everything, the finance yeah. shenanigans that go on with, it's like, God, I can't, I can't believe any of this, I can't believe this industry works at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, could you imagine leasing the engine in your car and just like one day, your your lease is up and you have yeah. to give up the engine. <laughs> how do you, I mean logistically? How does that even happen? I don't know. <laughs> uh, um. So yeah, I mean, and then, that's why it's like it's it's a little tricky because there are some things that you do in a way outsource, but you just have to know. And and I've that's something that I that I talk to clients a lot about is what they should be outsourcing, what they shouldn't be outsourcing. Um, if it's if it's part of your core value add, then you really you really should not you should try to not be outsourcing that because you're you've lost control of your of some of your core value of right. something that you you need more control than than that what you have you need more visibility right you need more transparency that you're just not going to get you're not going to get it if you don't if you aren't controlling it. There's also another aspect of whether or not you're ready or set up to be able to outsource. I mean, if you're 
if you don't have the, the, the right kind of procedures internally, or at least understand what you need and what you need built to be able to provide proper instructions for someone to build off of, good luck. And it also goes back to, and I know, in a, you know, airplanes, just like medical devices are one of these things where you really do have to write giant freaking documents and you have to do insane design process. I mean, when I say insane, I just mean like really in-depth and you have to have ways like formal methods to test your designs on this stuff before a line of code's ever written. And That's still only going to take you so far. It, you're right. It only, it does only take you so far, but it's all, it's for that type of business, it's all needed. Um. And and I don't have I have almost no experience working in those in that type of business, so I only know just what I've read. But so here's here's another problem I think I see with this whole situation with the outsourcing and that and it's not so much the mistake was made, obviously that's a big part of it, but unraveling the mistake. So I'll, I'll use uh, another issue that happened recently: the uh, well, the Salesforce issue, the outage that happened there. You also have the Cloudflare, Cloudflare. Outage, just from a regex script. Now, those were all handled internally. They were able to roll back. They were able to fix it, and they were able to address it, and they, everything moved forward. And no one died. And no one died. But these no are systems where, where people's lives on the line. But not only that, because this is outsourced, how much of the time to get this fixed is wasted on back and forth blaming, oh, back and forth gosh, protection? I mean, how, how, how hard is this company in India working to protect themselves and say, we built what you told us to build, you validated, and how much of that back and forth of is happening without actually fixing the problem because now they're doing this whole back and forth who's going to sue who who's going to pay for what yep and and when in time it gets potentially into a legal or litigious situation what is everyone for, from your company supposed to do not not talk mm-hmm. you can't say anything yeah. don't email don't talk because this could be this could be a legal situation right and and the and the sad thing is what you actually need everyone to be doing at that point is talking right if you're going to get business done if you're going to solve problems right but you, you can at that point because it's you're crossing legal entity boundaries. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think the fact that this has lasted this long or delayed this long is, is partially because of that. Because they've inj- in- injected this, this interface that didn't have to exist. Yeah. Um, where was – there was some – just browsing through here. Uh Yeah, I don't know. It said something about. Did you think the thing about like we they decided they didn't need any? Oh, here we go. So this former, I guess, software engineer who worked there, he recalled one manager saying at an all hands meeting that Boeing didn't need senior engineers because its products were mature. This guy says, "I was I was shocked that in a room full of a couple hundred mostly senior engineers that we were being told that we weren't needed," and then he got laid off. Wow. And it's just this is this is the this is just that you know maybe this is one of those things where because we learned this lesson about ten I would say about ten years ago so um, the whole offshoring and, and particularly to uh, you know like India Bangalore sometimes Eastern Europe Russia you know cheaper areas right that's how all these you know young out of business school managers managers were going to make their name you know, save all this money be heroes get promoted and there was a of course. If you don't do it right, and many of them don't do it right, there's a big that pendulum swings back because there's all these famous failures that happen because of that. Right, and it, I it feel so like prevalent. it's being. I feel like it's being. Been, we've now it's the pendulum's getting swinging back into that this bad area again where people are. They're, they're outsourcing in a dumb way. 
and are outsourcing inappropriately. And, and then something like this happens, and then it's going every, to... Every, I mean, think of all the managers right now who have been, who are in the middle of some big outsourcing project are going, oh shit, I hope ours... I mean, because imagine immediately the scrutiny that immediately is going to now come down from like top-level managers or the CEO. I want an immediate report on all of our outsourcing projects. What are we doing? What's the risk? You know, are, how much are we paying? What, what's the skill level of these people? You know, and you're like, oh, crap. Well, you hope they're, the CEO is asking those questions. You, but they haven't been. But what I'm saying is now, all of a sudden, you know, the next day after this article drops or this, the news for this drops, you know, you know that's, what's, that's what is on the meeting agenda of, every, of all these companies who do this kind of outsourcing. I would hope so. <laughs> but not if you're the mid-level manager that decided to outsource one of your projects. You're like, oh shit, now I've got, I'm going to have a ton of scrutiny on me. But a lot of these guys, I mean, the thing is that some of these are multi-year projects, so they outsource a big project and a year into it, claim a bunch of cost savings, and then they, they've moved on. They move up. They get promoted. They, they, they put that on their LinkedIn and, and leverage it to get a new job somewhere else. And by sure. the time the shit hits the fan, they're gone. Sure. And that happens a lot. It happens. That, that's, that's I mean, honestly, that's like the best strategy. <laughs> That's, that's the strategy for everything. You you build some software and you try to get someone to buy it. You <laughs> outsource some stuff and try to try to get out of it while the getting's good. <laughs> okay, so there's this other thing that came up in this article, which I want to ask you about because okay. mm, this has been coming up in my work. And okay, so Boeing opened what it called a center of excellence with HCL in Chennai. Chennai, Chennai. I think it's Chennai. That's how I say it. Uh, saying that the, the companies would partner to create software critical for tests or for flight tests. In 2011, Boeing named Scient, who was then Infotech. I was wondering, I, I didn't realize they changed their name. I still got Infotech. Mm. That's one of these big Indian kind of outsourcing companies that employ like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people. I don't know. It seems like tons. Um, but they named Infotech to a list of their suppliers of the year for design, stress, and analysis, and software engineering. On the 787 and the 747-8 at one of their uh, centers uh, in uh, this place in India uh, that we all know as Hyderabad! Okay. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, yay! Um, the key here is this center of excellence. John, have you ever uh, dealt with a center of excellence? Yeah, I was part of one. You were? Yeah. And how amazing was the center of excellence? I don't know. We never never got off the yeah. ground before I left. So theoretically, I can I've I've read up on centers of excellence, and I imagine that at some companies where they actually put their money where their mouth is, and they commit to things, and they put smart people on things, I, I can see this being a needed governing and. Uh, innovation group in a in an organization, sure. But that's not how it's done. That's not how it's done. Thank you. That's not. How, I mean, <laughs> like ninety nine percent of the time, it's again, it's it's some initiative by some entrepreneurial or just uh, e eager manager to try to do something big and make a name and make a splash, and it ends up being garbage and it just falls well, apart. They, they do it in a silo, first of all, and then they also do it as a part-time effort, meaning everyone has a day job and they're part of this center of excellence that they're trying to stand up. It's, you're not going to drive any, any real change where everyone's trying to do their day job and trying to drive everything else. It just doesn't make sense. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, center of and excellence. Most, most of the time, <laughs> that's what it is. It's a bunch of people who 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 already have a job, a full time job, right? And you're saying, in addition to your full time job, by the way, we're not going to pay you more for this, right? You have to run this center <laughs> of excellence, and you got to be on this. You got to be on this committee. Yeah. And it's like, well, what's the upside for them? And that's that's why I'm saying somebody comes out. I feel like do it wrong, and I've I'm seeing it do being done wrong right in front of my face right now. Mm. So that's why I. I mean, it's a, well, it's a sensitive topic for me. Salesforce has this big initiative around center of excellence, don't they, right now? And is that part of their V2 mom or I, whatever? All <laughs> I know is is previous life, they were setting up quite a few center of, ex- center of excellences around all the verticals, and it was a big thing. It was a big deal. It was a big deal that had Salesforce's eyeballs on it. Yeah. Again, if, if you do it right, if you put the right resources into it, and if you have smart people in it, then I could see it. I can see how it makes sense. Well, here's sense. the problem. You're taking smart people who know how to do stuff, and you're taking them and putting them in this center and that, of excellence. And that's the true cost of it. And you have to be willing to pay that price. Yeah. But and instead, have, what happens is that person's so valuable to your existing business, you go, okay, we need you over here. We need, I need you on this call to, to tell me how to do this, or I need this, or I need that. And they're so distracted that nothing no, can get you've done. You've got to be willing to backfill those people with other they, smart they people. they end up getting... Yeah, I know. Yeah, no. Um. Hmm. So, okay, with a strong dollar, a big part of the this attraction was price. Engineers in India made around $5 an hour. Is that really true? $5? It's now 9 or 10 compared with, and this is, this is the part that actually is most interesting to me, $35 to $40 an hour for those in the U.S. on H-1B visa. And now I start my rant on H-1B visas and how that whole H-1B system is so abused by employers and the politicians who are paid by the employers in this country. Um, you know, H-1B is for the, and I don't know what the exact terms are, but it's, it's for the, the best and the brightest. It's for the, the highly educated, highly skilled, and highly in demand. We're talking about, you know, PhDs or, or incredibly smart engineers who have proven, right, these proven skills. And there's companies that do it right. You know, you could look because it's there's all I think there's all open data on this. If you go look at the H1B open data, like when Facebook or Salesforce or th- these these companies are hiring H1Bs, they're actually paying them because that's the other thing. Like you're supposed to be paying them market wages. I mean, mm-hmm. if these people are the best and the brightest, they're going to make a lot of money, and they and they should. And and of course, coming from if they're coming from a country, some because a lot of them do that are that's why they're coming here because they're going to make a lot more money. So it is a lot more money for them, but it's the employer is not supposed to take advantage of the fact that they're coming from a cheap country and they're right. and abusing that. Right. But that's so often what happens. But I, I was just gonna I did want to defend like some of these big tech companies because I've seen the data, and Salesforce is paying well into, into the six figures for their H one Bs. But you could look here in Dallas. I mean, I, I bet you the typical H one B salary is probably fifty fifty thousand dollars. Mm. Um, I've had clients in the past who I happen to know they were. They they were one of these, and the other thing is like, you're supposed to be able. You're part of the H1B system is you have to attempt to hire citizens or permanent residents before you go to the H1B process. And there are plenty of companies here who their whole business strategy is only hiring H1Bs. If you're if you're an American citizen, you're not even you're not even qualified. They exclude you immediately. Um, and because the, the whole point is they know they can pay them, you know, 40, 50 grand instead of 70, 80, 90, 100 grand or whatever. Um, and, and regardless of what, regardless of what, the, if that's right. And if you should just let the mark, you know, like the more libertarian thing, like, Hey, let markets be markets. Um, we don't really 
we like to talk that we do in this country. We really don't, though. But what? Are, but we need to follow the laws we have, and that's the problem. And and these these poor people on H one Bs get so incredibly abused by these employees. They get stuck. It's indentured servitude. They get they're underpaid and they're abused. And they there's, there's nothing they can do. They're stuck for five. I think it's five years. And so the whole the whole system is just incredibly abused. And and that's what that's what this is. I mean, can, I don't know. Well, this is a, this is different than that. I mean, they weren't. No, they were talking here. about. No, that they were. I mean, even even the rates they were talking about for H one Bs were very low. And then then it goes on to say that then he'd tell clients that the cheaper hourly wage equated more to more like eighty dollars an hour because of the need for supervision. Again, if you're not using H one Bs for what the system's for, if you're using it actually to bring in low to moderate skilled people who are just super inexpensive. It's like a cattle call almost. Um, then yeah, you're gonna have to. You're gonna require much more management and supervision of them because they're gonna be breaking shit all over the place. That that's that's the that's one of the parts of our because we have this huge immigration topic in the, in this country that's ne- that never we and we seem to never make progress on no matter who's the president or whatever. And it's and one of the things I think they absolutely need to fix is it's it's not just like you know, people walking across the border. It's also this, these other higher level visa systems that are so abused. It's like, we've got to fix the whole, we do like, but they talk about comprehensive immigration reform. I mean, we really do like top to bottom. And it, cause it's just, it's being, it's completely broken. But anyway, that's my soapbox. That was a soapbox. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else on this one, John, that you wanted to talk about? I don't know. I, I think it's easy to kind of look at the, heading headline of this and and the kind of the base facts of this and kind of get kind of emotional and upset about it. I, I still think there's a lot of de- devil in the details here. I don't necessarily think it was 100%. Yeah. I don't I don't know how to how to express it. I just think I I guess I'm more sensitive these days to to seeing an article and getting really emotional and hyped up about it just because it's so much of it is just meant to to hit you emotionally. It's meant to drive anger. The whole the whole reason they stuck this $9 an hour in the heading was to get you to click it and to be emotional about it and to share it and to say, oh, my God, about it. So I'm kind of – I'm at this age where I'm older <laughs> and um, I'm kind of desensitized, desensitized to some of this. And so I try not to get too reactionary to it. I really want to know more and understand more about what really happened and everything. And it's kind of hard to gather from some of these quick hit articles. But Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always that you you want yeah that you need people to click right. So well, yeah. I mean, because I can draw from from anecdotes, and I can draw from my own personal beliefs, either either emotionally or politically, and try to draw conclusions and dot lines and validate perspectives and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, the airline industry sucks. The whole thing sucks, it does. and it's just getting worse. And so this just does not help at all. <laughs> And I don't know how we're ever going to get there. How we're, I want to go back to the heyday where they were competing for you, and you were you were you were treated like a valued no, person. Yeah. You were treated like a person. Yeah. You're not treated like a person anymore. Yeah. If you don't smile and bat your eyes, they'll kick you off the damn plane. It's that bad. Yeah, you're you're treated like the most. You you've never felt more unwelcome or unwanted in your life. Yeah. Than if you're a customer, right? An active ticket holding customer of a, yeah. of an airline. Yeah. Um, well, John, I'm starting to really feel the beer, so we probably should wrap up. Um, 
Let me blow. Th- let me. I'm, I, I like this. We need to come up with a name for this. I want to blow through my topics we didn't get to. There's only two actually. Um, we did have a no, community topic that we didn't get to. Well, I'm having to hold it because I got. I'm, turns out I got to take my kids to uh, swimming lessons. Oh. And we're let's see how how we're doing here time wise. Oh, we're almost an hour and a half, John. And it's a it's a holiday eve. We got to get out of here. It's true. So we'll hold that unless it's unless you want to do it fast. You, you think we should do it now? Uh, I'll give you a preview, and you'll you'll click, click, quickly dismiss it because it's a big topic, and that's a uh, uh, experience and st- worst stories around DDD. So oh, that's, a, that's a thirty design. minute topic. That's that's yeah, yeah that's a thirty <laughs> minute to an hour topic. So we'll save that one. Um, okay. So DRM sucks. Uh, if you, Microsoft shut down their book, um, they had the, their whole book book service shut it down, and everything. I didn't know they had a book service. Yep. <laughs> and everything that everyone bought is getting ripped away from them. And this has happened many times. And this is just why DRM is really just a horrible, horrible, because you never actually, it's like when you bought a book before, physical book, like you owned, you literally owned that physical book. You bought a CD, a tape, you owned it. I mean, there was some restrictions on what you could do with it. It was still a license. It was still, it was always, still a license. It was still always a license, but you had the physical copy. You had it. And yeah. You they know. couldn't take it away yes. from you. <laughs> yes. I mean, zeros and ones floating in the air couldn't cause that to be taken away from you, right. which it can now. Yeah. And we're still dealing with that. Uh, Salesforce Park or the Transit Center, whatever it's called, was reopened. Yeah. I think Good news. the transit part is still not a thing. The buses aren't there e- even. Of course, that, that has to be trans probably never, ever going to happen. So the whole business model this thing was built on is basically a giant failure. But, but there's uh, a the nice park. park. Opened. It's yeah. a nice park. Yeah. yeah. It's better than just concrete, I guess, right? Well, as long as they keep it secure and... Doesn't <laughs> yes. doesn't turn into I a know. poop fest, but <laughs> oh, well, that's true. Uh, they'll no, they'll take care of it. I think you would think so, right? Oh, I, I imagine so. And then also, Salesforce joined um, what? Not the CNCF. What did they join? They joined the continuous de- CDF, the Continuous Delivery Foundation. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, and I think that's not for unfortunately, it's not for, not for they, us. It's not for us. Not for us, please. No, no. no. Yeah. <laughs> it's for the good, king and queen. Good luck doing CICD with with Salesforce. It's it's for. How Salesforce built Salesforce. Uh, they have joined the <laughs> CDF to contribute to that organization. So that's that's overall a good thing. Um, Salesforce has a lot of software that they build, and I'm sure they have a lot of ideas to contribute. So that's it. That's it. All right, let's start what saying else? our goodbyes. Well, John, it's been... Uh, it's You're been, not going to be here next been, week, by the way. <laughs> I'm not going to be here. Oh, yeah, I'm on vacation. So no show so, next yeah, week. Yeah, no show next week. Jeremy decided he'd rather spend time with his family than, than do this show. Know, such so, a loser. So all of you guys can give him crap about how he chose his family over us. Yep. Um, all right, John. Well, uh, let's see. If you're not in, if you're listening right now and you're not in our Slack, and there's a ton of people who are still not in our Slack, uh, you should check it out. All you have to do is go to gooddayserpodcast.com, click on community, and put in your email address, and you can uh, you can check out the Slack. You don't have to say anything. You can just lurk or check it out or whatever. But it's um it's a fun place. Lots of lots of nice uh, and smart people, and we also what else do we have, John? We have an email address, right? That's they info do. at gooddaysirpodcast dot com, and you can send us uh, topic ideas or questions or whatever, or just rant at us or complain or offer to have your CEO come on our show, <laughs> which will not happen. <laughs> uh, what else do we have? We have uh, reviews, except we don't have reviews. So please, if you uh, you know. Use this on podcasts or iTunes or any of the things that let you do reviews. Leave us a review. Just uh, say a few nice words. That's uh, one way you can say thank you. And I'm going to start moving our community topics to the beginning again. 
Every time I let you talk, we never get to it. Hey, I'm running a show here. I'm the one who sits here for two hours before the show and prepares while you get to sit there and work. So <laughs> Imagine that. I know. So I'm running a show. So if you got something to interject, you just got to interject it. Or else I'm just going to keep doing my thing, man. All right. All right, this, I, war, I do this war is about to happen. I do stop a couple of times and usually say, John? Yeah, yeah no. I'm, I'm I'll give, kinda, you, I'll give you on, Honestly, today today was not my best day. I'm, I'm kind of out of it. I'm struggling. When with, we sat down at lunch, I was like, yeah, you're out of it, man. I was really out of it, you wasn't I? Yeah. Still, uh, still out of it. Or something. I don't um, know. Brain's not working. Yep. But yeah, uh, yeah. like us, review. Would love to get reviews. Or I'm about to shut down that service because that's, that's costly. John me. even pays. I do. And he, you get this weekly notification probably this like, yeah, it's have zero sad. new reviews this it's week. It's really sad. I we used to get email. reviews. It's, I, think, I think we've really, we found, our, we found our, our community. We know who they are. They know who we are. And, and it's just, that's it. They are. <laughs> there's no new blood. <laughs> no, no one else likes us enough no. to, to comment, but uh, that's, that's okay, I guess. All right, John. Well, uh, I'm, I'm heading to, uh, I'm heading to Colorado, man. Well, have fun. Yeah. I mean, it's, it should be cooler there. I'm going to go up in the mountains and, Walk around, probably get eaten by a lion or whatever they are, a whatever bear? out there. Ah, a bear or a, a what? Are the, what's the what are the big cats there with mountain lions? Mountain lions. Yeah. Take your uh, big old big animal pepper spray or something with you. I probably should probably get some of that and get a GPS phone or something so you don't end up like stuck in a rock somewhere and have to eat your arm are, off. Are, aren't all phones GPS phones now? Are they not? I don't know. No, because no, you have to get like a satellite phone. That's what I mean. Oh, a sat phone. Yeah. Oh, geez. Those sat are, phone. That's out of control. That's what they call them in all the uh, movies, John. Sad phone. Come on, get with it. Yeah. How about, <laughs> <laughs> How about, and to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>